following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. Just how the people live, they're just gonna die. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Just how the sinner lives, they're just gonna die. The time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. Far next time, the time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. You better get down on your knees and pray. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Time, time's a coming when the sinner must die. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. The cry of my heart is for revival. What is revival? The working of grace in a man or woman's heart to cause them to see their sin and cause them to leave their rebellion against God and turn and obey the living God of heaven. Conversion means a total change. It means that I have made decisions. A person living with someone they're not married to It means 
breaking off that ungodly relationship. A man who is drinking himself into a stupor every night. Conversion happens when he makes a decision to confess fully to Jesus what he is doing and to cut that sin off by the power of the blood of Jesus. But it's not just one sin we cut off. It's all of the sin we cut off. It is a total change. Paul talks about it as being made into a new creature. And of course the word new in the Greek means something that never existed before. It is a supernatural act of God when we with our free will make a choice to give ourselves entirely into the hands of Jesus Christ. Now I received a a picture, a photograph of a young woman holding a beautiful little baby. It came from a former member of the National Prayer Chapel. When I saw that picture, my heart was grieved. I could barely sleep last night. I was awakened time after time in the night to cry out to God. Why? Because for my seminary time, I was taught that a pastor is to be a coach, a CEO. I was taught that a pastor's duty was to love people, and that meant that I was to walk with them on their journey. It's a very therapeutic model in American culture. And with this man and with his family, I simply loved him and his daughter. And I would occasionally speak with him about some aspect of his salvation, but not in such a way as to offend, and not in such a way as to call him to total conversion, to a change. I believe that conversion was a long, drawn-out process, that you could grow out of your sin. I believe that my task was to nurture he and his family until finally they were ready to leave their sin. And so when this new mother was a young woman in the home and attending the National Prayer Chapel, Daddy was always very permissive, saying, this is my baby girl, and she must make decisions for herself about what she's going to do with Jesus. And so at quite an early age, she was no longer required to come to church, and yet she enjoyed all the benefits of the family. She was encouraged in every way to go her own way, well, her own way finally led her to moving in with a young man that she was not married to and birthing a child out of wedlock. All I could do when I received this was to send a text back. I want to read you the text I sent him. Seeing the picture above broke my heart. 
I repent for my sin against you and your family. I was not the pastor you needed. In my ignorance, I couldn't help you. I love you and will continue to pray for you and your family. They're no longer a part of the National Prayer Chapel. But my heart is broken. Because as I said to one brother this morning who asked me how I was, and I said, I'm not doing very well. Well, why not? What's happening, Pastor? And I explained to him that I've been permissive. I have thought that I could love a man out of a sin. After all, God is love. But true love is not permissive. True love does not let a man or a woman walk into a building that's on fire. You put your body between that man and that building and say, you cannot enter here because if you do, you will die. I didn't do that. And so I share a part of the responsibility for another unwed mother with an illegitimate baby. breaks my heart. I wonder what would have happened had I said many years ago to this man, you've been in church all your life, but you've never been converted. You are a pagan man with religious trappings. You need to repent and you need to be converted. You need to be changed into a new man. The spirit that is in you is not the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of darkness. I love you, and because I love you, I must tell you, you will lose your family and you will lose your daughter if you do not stop being permissive with both your wife and your family. I wonder what would have happened. Now, please. I know I'm not alone today. I know that there are countless mothers unwed with children born out of wedlock. And it's largely due to pastors and church leaders believing that all we need to do is love people in a permissive way and not really address the real issues of sin and darkness and demonic oppression. That we need to simply be kind and loving. That's not being kind and loving. Now I recognize that in part I didn't want to make him unhappy so that he would leave the church. And that's my sin of pleasing. Now look, I'm being absolutely straight-up honest with you today, as I usually am. As the Lord reveals to me what must happen for revival to come in America, I'm telling you that conversion is an instant process. It is quick. It is not a long, drawn-out process. And if you're thinking that either you can slowly deal with your sin Know that you are under the wrath of God. You may go to church every Sunday. 
You may even be a pastor who stands in the pulpit and preaches and then goes back to his office and opens his computer after service and fills his heart and mind with pornography. Whoever you are, church board member, church deacon, deaconess, armor bearer, you can be a vestry member, or you can be a clergyman. You are not going to grow out of your sin. Your sin will only tighten its grip over the years, and you will become less and less like Jesus. We must face the honest reality that you will never grow out of your sin. You will never nurture a person out of sin. The very nature of sin stands in direct opposition to this kind of foolishness. And I was trained in it. I was taught this from seminary. And I've been taught that in the culture of America. And I was wrong. I should have seen it because I've read the scriptures through from Genesis to Revelation. After 50 times, I stopped counting. But I saw it through my own eyeglasses and did not recognize the grave danger of what I'd been taught until suddenly the Lord brought such crisis into my life and into the life of the National Prayer Chapel that I had to acknowledge that most of the members of the National Prayer Chapel were filled with the wicked lie that we could grow out of sin. Now, I've always on this broadcast and at church preached about righteousness, repentance, but it never dawned on me. It never dawned on me. The conversion had to happen quickly and that it was a decision. And and until those decisions are made to leave our sin, we're under the wrath of God and we're lost. So now there is a whole new perspective for me and a whole new direction for the National Prayer Chapel. We've been pruned very carefully by Almighty God. And those who were filled with pride and anger, judgments, those who refused to hear a straight word, They're gone. And now we start in a serious manner to do the work of revival in Washington. And I have to tell you, it's been heartbreaking for me. I've spent many sleepless nights crying out to God in the last three months reading the scriptures, searching to try to understand. I feel like I've been spending my whole life going through these radical adjustments of understanding. I praise God for caring enough for me to reveal these truths. 
Now, I want to talk with you today about praying for revival. But you understand the first step toward praying for revival is to repent for my own permissiveness. To repent for my heart to please others. Right now I have quite a number of family people and other people who are most upset with me. It's not the first time my family has been upset with me. And I simply said to them, look, I love you with all my heart, but I must follow Jesus. And as I follow him with all of my heart, and he gives me new understandings, and he he brings about new things in my life, I'm going to follow Jesus because there must be a radical change in America. And so for me, it means beginning to repent for this permissive, indifferent heart about the salvation of other people. Frankly, I've always believed that in some future time, in some more opportune time, a person would turn to Jesus if I simply loved them. But you see, what that does is it prevents me from being in fervent prayer for them. And it prevents me from addressing the real issues of their heart. It also lets me to be continuing in the comfortable personality of, of pleasing. Many years ago, the Lord said to me, I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge with new and sharp teeth. Well, I haven't been much of a new and sharp teeth kind of guy, but I am becoming that by God's grace, by his mercy. You see, when I lack fervent prayer for the lost and I make excuses for not not praying for them, That's called indolence. It's called laziness. When I'm more concerned about my own personal salvation and not focusing on the work of the gospel to save sinners, and in all honesty, much of my focus at the National Prayer Chapel has been to help people in their personal growth rather than confronting them with their sin. I have to repent for that. And I have. Earnestly, with tears. That's why this photograph of this young woman with this new baby so broke my heart. Because I never said to this man, I don't think you're a real Christian. I think you still have a pagan heart. And it's true, he does. See, the truth is, I have not had the dying love of Jesus for sinners. I have not cared to die to my own life 
that others could be saved. It's still been about me. And that has to be over. Now, some of you are going to say, Pastor, you're being too hard on yourself. Well, if you're saying that to me, it's because you're not being hard enough on yourself. It's time we really get honest about where we are and where we're not in Jesus. Some of you have been drifters, going from church to church, never making a commitment to build the church or the kingdom of God. One family, when difficulties came at the prayer chapel, they took their children and went to another church because they said they must have Sunday school. No, they're just, they're drifters. They're consumers. They go where they can get what they want instead of paying the price to stay and become a builder. Stay and be a block in the wall and say, okay, let's deal with sin. You know what? Your children need to see what a real church looks like. And they need to see it from the ground up. They need to experience mom and dad weeping for the lost. They need to say, Daddy, why are you crying? Well, son, because this person whom I love is walking in sin and rebellion against Jesus, and I'm asking Jesus to change his heart. I'm asking Jesus to save this man. Son, would you join me? Let's pray together for this man. And with the tears streaming down Dad's face, the little guy needs to pray and look with wonder on the compassion and love of his father for the lost. Do you think that little boy's going to grow up and turn against Jesus? Are you kidding me? But you send that little guy off to some foolish place where he can learn foolish things about the scriptures that are not true. Learn that Jesus loves them unconditionally. Learn that even in their sin, they're loved by Jesus and they're saved. When that little boy grows up, he's going to leave Jesus. He's going to turn his back on the gospel because it's phony. It's false. One family I have such love and respect for. They will not send their children to Sunday school. Now, I'm not against Sunday school, please. There are some Sunday schools that are very godly and the teachers are godly. But most Sunday schools are places for children to be entertained so mom and dad can be in the service and not be bothered by the children. And so the children never learn to be in the worship service until they're teenagers and then all the hormones are pumping and all the rebellion is pumping and they don't learn to sit and listen to the preacher. This family will not send their children to Sunday school. Instead, they have them lined up on the pew in their church. And they've said, we'll teach our children at home about Jesus. We're the children's teachers. We're homeschooling our children in Jesus. We want them to sit in that worship service and learn to listen to a sermon 
and be convicted of their sin, even as children. We want them to make decisions for Jesus. I respect that man. You see, if you don't settle in a godly place and pay the price to win the lost, you will simply be a consumer of religion. If you do not have a commitment to build the church of Jesus, then you're going to be content to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be content to see no salvation come to those you love. You're going to be content to see wickedness go unchecked in your close friends and relatives and in society generally. And your commitment is evident by the lack of action and prayer regarding your desires. Do you see how serious this is? And why I'm so heartbroken today that I did not address many of those who were part of the National Prayer Chapel regarding pride, gossip, judgment, worldliness, wickedness, permissiveness. One person said, we have to have Sunday school pastor if I'm going to come to your church because I'm so exhausted by my week of work that I just want to come to church and chill. That person will never know Jesus Christ. That person is a consumer of religion, but not a disciple of Jesus. Let's cut it straight, guys. I am no longer willing to allow any man or woman to come to where I preach and be comfortable as a consumer of religion. I either want Jesus, obedience, full, total, complete, being sold out to him, or I'm going to confront that either individually, personally, and also from the pulpit. We've come to a place where America is crashing. America is crashing because of pastors who will not speak the truth because they believe that conversion is a long, drawn-out process, that all you need to do is love people and coach people. It won't work. So how do we pray for revival? Well, the beginning is to repent of our own sin. To repent of our own coldness of heart. Our indifference. Faith. 
failure to carry out the Great Commission. To not have undying love for a brother or sister that would cause us to confront them. It's time we're honest with God about our own guilt, our own wickedness. It's time to weep over those we've influenced or have not influenced for the kingdom of heaven. People that you have known who have now passed on into eternity and you know they were lost but you'll come up with some sentimental thing maybe at the last minute they turned to Jesus but you never confronted their wickedness and you never explained to them the gospel of Jesus and you never opened to them the door of salvation and so they went to hell because you didn't care enough to risk talking with them about Jesus you didn't care enough to pray, to cry out to God for them. I came in the house from playing outside as a little boy, and I heard this voice crying out to the Lord. I went to investigate. The door to my parents' bedroom was closed. But I stood at the door and listened. And it was my daddy praying for his little boy Raymond that he'd stop being so angry, that he would stop lying. Oh, my daddy went down there and prayed for me and wept for me. I walked out of that house. I was never the same again because now I knew. My dad loved me. He was a rough, tough guy. He was no wimp. 6'3", all muscle, a workaholic, strong as an ox, big hands, big heart. A man who knew how to pray. I praise God my dad would care enough to get on his knees at his bed and pray for me. I think if that had not happened, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. I think my devotion to Jesus came out of my father's prayer closet. Who are you praying for like that? Who are you weeping over? you see what I'm talking about today, please? I don't mean to be hard on you. But isn't it time to pray? And to confess? And to pray for revival? Do you care enough about America? Do you care enough about your church? Do you care enough about your pastor? care enough about your kids and your wife well how should I pray 
First, you must pray for a definite object. Something specific. You don't pray, Oh, Lord, bless my daughter. That's a foolish prayer. If it's not in the context of the immediate need of that daughter. Or, instead of praying, Oh, God, please bless my wife. How about praying, Lord, bless my wife by turning her away from her sin of drunkenness. She's drinking too much wine. Lord, would you break the wine habit in her heart? She has to have wine every night before she goes to bed. She has to have wine at dinner. She's always drinking wine. Lord, she's drinking way too much. Would you cut this wine from her heart? How about praying that Jesus would convert your wife and give her a new heart? How about praying, Lord, she's robbing you of precious years of her life and she's causing the ruin of our children. Her example is wicked. Lord, would you show her mercy by converting her, by changing her heart? Lord, she has a wretched, wicked heart. Would you convert her? If your wife is unconverted, or if your husband is unconverted, do you care enough to get on your face and really go down there and pray for the specifics? Now, may I tell you, this is what takes love. Believing that all you need to do is love them and treat them kindly. That's not love. Oh, yes, you should do that. But it's not really the love I'm speaking of today. Do you want your husband, do you want your wife to be in heaven with you? Well, before you can pray that, you might have to repent of the bitter judgmental thought you've had toward your wife or your husband. You might have to repent, mister, for the way you've tried to control and dominate your wife. Which is probably at the source of her drinking problem. You're probably the reason she's drinking. Because she can't stand to get under the covers with you without some wine in her. Come on, let's be honest. Wow. You see what I'm talking about today? Are you willing to get honest with God about your own heart and then your your spouse's heart? And then are you willing to go down there for your children? Are you willing to ask the Lord to save that person specifically? intimately are you willing to get real with God today you want to know how to pray repent you want to know how to pray 
pray specifically with a defined object. Pray for something real. Don't pray, now bless me, O God. Now I lay me down to sleep. Don't pray children's infantile prayers. Get real with God. God will get real with you. Now you need to do another thing. You need to go to the scriptures and find very specific promises that the Holy Spirit will lead you to. That you can stand on for the salvation of your loved one or of your workmate or of your boss or the person you frankly hate the most. Most people I talk to have at least one person they really hate. Are you willing to find a promise in Scripture? Second Peter tells us that we participate in the divine nature through the promises of God. Are you willing to pray that promise daily for as many hours as is necessary until the victory is won? Obtain the evidence from Scripture, from the promises of God, that He will answer your prayer so that you can pray in faith in accordance with the revealed will of God. The Holy Spirit will, exi- will excite prayer in your spirit if you will humbly confess and get specific about a loved one. He desires that we would pray. Now there's another step you need to take. The Holy Spirit will place in our hearts a strong desire to love. Cherish that strong desire to love. Don't let that love become permissive. Don't let that love become cheap. I saw a woman wearing a t-shirt this last week and on the front it said, Love is free. I want to tell you, love is not free. Love is the most expensive commodity in the universe. It was love that cost Jesus his life on Calvary's tree. I'm not interested in the hippies' free love movement. That wasn't free love. They paid a heavy price, a heavy price for their free love. And this was kind of a hippie woman. Free love. I can guarantee you she's paying a heavy price for free love. Because free love does not demand commitment or responsibility. Free love floats around abusing people. No. I want you to cherish 
the real love that takes responsibility to pray for another as though their very salvation depended upon you alone. This man I spoke about, I spent much time in the night praying for he and his family. I'm going to continue praying for him because I love him. And I share in the responsibility of his daughter having a baby out of wedlock because I didn't pray. I didn't care enough. I thought I could just nurture them and love them and and walk with them as a coach. What utter wickedness before a holy and righteous God. Love is never passive. Love is always preempting. It is always moving out ahead. It is always taking the action now to lay down our life for another. Don't say, I love you. Don't say, I'm praying that Jesus' love will be all about you, Pastor, and walk away. Don't say to me, I'm, I'm a friend of yours, Pastor. I love you, your family, and then walk away. Are you kidding me? That's free love. That's cheap love. I want real love. I want real love in my heart that will cause me to lay my life down for my brother and my sister. So I need a solid promise of God that I can lay my life upon and I can grasp with both hands and I can stand by faith and pray for the specific work of God in that person's life as I am led by the Holy Spirit. And may I say one more thing about this. As I cherish the love I have for a brother or a sister, a wife, a son or a daughter. When the Holy Spirit calls me to pray, stop whatever I'm doing and pray. I love the story of Reese Howells, who was the great intercessor. The book Norman Grubb wrote, Reese Howells' Intercessor, the turn of the century. He was sitting at the family dinner table and the Holy Spirit said, come, I want to talk with you. And he looked at his family and said, what are they going to think if I get up in the middle of the meal and leave the table? What's mom going to think? What's dad going to think? What are my brothers going to think? They're going to think I've lost my mind. You're walking away from a wonderful meal to pray? Why not finish your meal and then go pray? No, 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 no. When the Holy Spirit calls you to pray, even in the middle of a meal, 
stop what you're doing and go pray. You see, we're the servants who wait upon the living God of heaven. He is not the servant who waits upon us. We do not pray at our convenience. We pray at his invitation. Now it's also important to let your mind be led by the Spirit of God as you meditate on a person that you're being called to pray for. You're praying for their conversion. You're praying for a change. You need to spend time thinking about them, focusing on your history with them, focusing on how you feel about them, because that will reveal to you any ungodliness in your own heart, any judgments against them in your own heart, because those judgments must be removed by the Spirit of God. They must be repented of before you're going to be successful in the prayer closet. It may be that you're going to have to forgive them for something harsh or nasty they've said to you. You cannot pray for them and hold a grudge against them in your heart because then you'll be praying judgment upon them. And God will not answer that kind of prayer. So you consider their situation. You look at and consider their guilt and their danger. As you do so, you will begin to see the immense value of their soul. You'll begin to see that Jesus loves them. And as you see the value of their soul and you see their desperate situation before God, you're going to be moved with compassion for them. Intercessory prayer for another person always comes out of mercy and love, but not permissive love. You begin to see their specific sins and you begin to see how these sins have offended not you, but Jesus. You begin to consider God's great love in sending Jesus to die for such a wicked person. You begin to feel that person's pain and anguish. And then an agony of heart comes into you. And you begin to desire for them salvation. Agony of soul or travail, as it's spoken of in the Scripture, is travail for birth. It's that process of considering them and praying for them and feeling for them, seeing their value, lifting them up before Jesus until that person is converted, 
This is not just some cold mental operation that goes on. This is an operation that will will require great compassion and great mercy and tears to flow from your eyes. And then you need to go the next step. You must speak with that person as you are led by the Holy Spirit about their sin. And they must see the pain of your own heart for them. You must be specific. And they must see your brokenness. You are not there to scold a sinner. You are not there to rebuke a sinner. You are not there to be self-righteous. But rather in brokenness. You share your great love for them and your compassion for them. That you desire above all things that they should be free and healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would no longer walk in their fornication. Or, or they should no longer walk in whatever the point of rebellion is that you have been able to see and identify. Now some people, they just want to pray for a person. Oh, pastor, I'm, I'm praying for them. I'm sorry, this is a cooperative work. Your praying for them affects them. God intervenes in their hearts, but it also is for the purpose of changing you so that when you go to speak with that person, you're not filled with pride and, and anger and judgment. But rather you come to them with a heart soft and broken, filled with compassion. Now you know that the kind of prayer I'm speaking about can only be done by a person who has been converted. Yes, you must be converted. If you are walking in any rebellion or sin against God, you cannot pray for the soul of another effectively. And then when you pray, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and surrender yourself so that you are praying in accord with the heart of the Holy Spirit. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you must persevere and keep praying until you get an assurance from God that it is done. And the Holy Spirit will finally say to you, Okay. You're finished praying for them. It's going to take you a lot of time to do this. This is not a quickie. This takes time. And when you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus, and you don't plead how good they are, Lord, deserve to be saved. You don't plead their merits. You don't plead your own merits. Rather, you plead the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And you call upon them to renounce all sin. You must pray in faith. 
You cannot pray in selfish motives. You must pray from compassion. Your your motive must be the glory of God, God's happiness and the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth. Do you understand today? It is the heart of God to save the lost. It is the heart of God to use you to save the lost. It is God's desire. Ephesians, read the whole book. It's the book of the church. It is God's desire to bring all things under Jesus Christ through the church, through you. I have only a brief minute left in this broadcast. I would like to hear from you. Would you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com? You can click on the donate button and help us with this revival message. Or you can mail directly a check to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I thank each one of you All but $200 has now come in for last month's radio from the pledges. I thank each one of you who has given. Please pray. Pray for me. Cry out to God for this radio broadcast. Cry out to God for revival. God bless you. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you in the name of Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory with great joy. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blessed.